Good to be with you today. Uh, we are continuing on in our series that we just began, uh, Delighting in Christ. Last week we uh, began by delighting in His deity, that His uh, grace and compassion are divine in their nature and all that that implies for us. Today we're going to be looking at the love of Christ. should be a wonderful time as we focus on this. Um, delighting in His love. Now John 15 says... Uh, Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So let's, let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would help us to see uh, the depths of your love and the love of your Son for us. Uh, give us faith, Lord, to believe that this is true uh, because we know ourselves and how uh, fallen and depraved we are, and even as believers, as new creatures in Christ, uh, we still fail you and uh, lose sight of you, Lord. We uh, rebel against your rule over our lives, and we idolize other things instead of you. And so, forgive us, Lord, and help us to uh, remember your love for us, and may that draw us into a greater commitment towards you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Again, John 15, 9, Christ says, Just as a father has loved me, I have also loved you. And he says, <clears throat> Abide in my love. Now, this is what we're trying to do this morning. We are, uh, we are having, uh, we're, we're making an effort to abide in the love of Christ, to remind ourselves of his love, to believe in his love. Uh, to dwell uh, and to live our lives uh, with the constant reference point of the love of Christ. That's what he means by abiding. It means to, that, that his love would affect your life. And for us to do that, we need to understand what kind of love this is. And Christ says here that he loves us with the same divine love that the Father has for Him. So that divine love from the Father to the Son, where both the giver and the receiver of that love are perfect and eternal and divine, uh, that love where there is no stain or spot, no ill motive, no selfishness, uh, no... Um, no facade, uh, nothing of the sort, nothing like that. That love is a love that Christ has for you. Uh, John Owen. Again, we're, we're uh, pulling from John Owen's book in this series, uh, Communion with God. And uh, he, in that book, he has this whole kind of uh, side note of a chapter where he gives... All these reasons why you ought to commune with Christ, why it is good, why it would be good for you, why it would be delightful uh, for you to commune with Christ, uh, to be with him in his word and in prayer. As if we need reasons to do that, but yet John Owen, he knows us, 
Uh, he knows uh, the heart of men. Uh, and so he entices us, as it were, in, in this. And that's what I want to do through this series. He says, Where the love of Christ, were the love of Christ unto us, but the love of a mere man, it must have a beginning, it must have an ending, and perhaps be fruitless. This love, as such, cannot be infinite, nor eternal, nor from itself absolutely unchangeable. So if Christ were just a mere man, and that's, that's the estimation of many in this world, isn't it? That, uh, well, he's not God, but he's at least, you know, he, he, he's a great guy, and he was really nice and very sacrificial and compassionate, but he was just a man. And he died as a man, and uh, nothing more, nothing less. Uh, if that were true, John Owen says, then his love is temporary. It, it would have to have a beginning, it would have to have an end, right? And, and it, would, it would perhaps be fruitless. That is, there might come a situation where uh, he can't do something about his love for you. And if that's the case, if it's just a human love, then it, it, it therefore cannot be infinite, cannot be eternal, and it cannot be absolutely unchangeable. But as we're going to see, his love is eternal, unchangeable, and effectual. Those are the three points. First of, first of all, the love of Christ is an eternal love. The love of Christ is an eternal love. Uh, as he is, so is his love. That's just a good way to think about these things. And any other attribute of Christ, whether it's his grace or compassion or his patience or his wisdom, as he is, so is his, fill in the blank, or here, love. The nature of the love of Christ corresponds with the nature of Christ himself. And he says in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. Says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is Christ revealing himself to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos as he's giving the Apostle this letter of revelation. And he says at the beginning here, I am, he introduces himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That is the beginning and the end, right? Alpha and Omega. Those are, that's the, the first and the last letter uh, of the Greek alphabet. So he's the A and the Z. What, what would that mean? That would mean he's the beginning and the end. Uh, this is the nature of Christ, the one who loves you. He, when he says he is the beginning and the end, or the Alpha and the Omega, that doesn't mean that he has a beginning and he has an end. He's saying he is the beginning, he is the end. The, the point is that he has no beginning or end. He is the eternal God, the beginning of all things, the ending of all things, all subsist within Christ, within God. And so, 
if he has no beginning or end, if his nature spans uh, the beginning of creation and the end of creation and, and, and extends out into eternity past time, uh, then certainly his love does as well. That's the point. On Romans 8, speaking about the love of Christ specifically, Romans 8, 35-39 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? All right, so we're on topic here, right? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. What Paul is saying here is nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And when he says here, um, he says, uh, affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword. And he goes on actually in verse 38. Uh, Neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come. There's our temporal markers, right? Things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. No created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, time is a created thing. God made time itself. And his love is outside of time. It is outside of the creation. His love is, uh, is unconquerable. Uh, by anything in the created realm, including time itself. And so even in the passing of time, his love is outside of that because it dwells within him, not within the creation. So no amount of time that goes by can separate you from the love of Christ. And... 1 Corinthians 13, 7 reminds us a little thing about love. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It endures all things. And verse 8 says, love never ends. So the point is that the love of Christ endures all seasons of your life, Christian. In every season of your life, Christ loves you. Even in those seasons of life where it feels like maybe he's disciplining you. Even in that discipline, he still loves you. Uh, Even when you are wayward, he still loves you. Uh, Even when you deny him three times before the rooster crows, he still loves you. Uh, The love of Christ endures the passing of centuries and even millennia. There's no uh, epoch. There's no uh, uh, transition of time. There's no, uh, you know, there wasn't a season of love in history where God loved us. Um, and uh, there's, you know, and, and in the passing of pre-modern to modern times to post-modern times that we live in now, it's, it's, his love is still the same. 
And that stretches out into the future. You can trust in the love of Christ in the times to come. That no matter what might come your way, Christ will still love you. His love endures forever. Uh, Psalm 30, uh, 136, 1. You can actually just write the whole psalm. Psalm 136 begins by saying, Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Now, every single verse in this psalm, every single verse has a beginning phrase that's different, but that second half, for his loving kindness endures forever, is repeated every time. 26 verses and 26 times, the psalmist reminds us his loving kindness endures forever. I think it's important, right, for us to really understand and to believe and, because it's a song, to celebrate the eternal It is reliable. Because he loves you and he still loves you and he will still love you in the future, therefore, you are not consumed. What is he saying there? Who would do the consuming here? He would. God would. He is a consuming fire, isn't he? And so God, we should be thankful that he doesn't change. Because if he did change in his love for us, he would be the one to consume you. You don't have to fear the changing of the seasons or of the circumstances of your life as much as you must Fear God himself. We ought to have a healthy fear of him. Realizing that if he was like us, we would not last long. He would consume us in his wrath and his, and his chastisement of us. But because his love for you doesn't change, he will not do that for you. He will not do that to you. He will not consume you. He might discipline you. He won't spare the rod. uh, But he won't consume you. He won't wipe you out. It will be for your good. So that you can experience his love even more. Uh, His love doesn't change even in extreme circumstances. John 13. uh, Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, what do you you all see here? Uh, He knew that his hour had come, right? And the hour was specifically that he would depart out of this world, right? And go to the Father, what, how did he depart out of the world? What was the mode of his departure, you could say? What, what does that mean, that he, he was going to depart out of this world? Ascension to heaven? Yes. But uh, did he go from the upper room to the ascension, right? Did he just go straight there? Yeah, he had to die. He had to die and be buried, be rose, risen again, and then depart. So what's striking is the author here, he looks through the cross to the ascension of Christ, uh, and 
And uh, knowing that that was going to be the end, uh, Christ loves them to the end. That, that is, to the utmost, to the fulfillment, to the telos. It's not just the end of time. It's not just um, to the end of his life. It's to the end of why he came, to the completion of his incarnation. The purpose of him coming, the purpose of him being born in a manger was so that he would come to the cross and die in our place and be buried and rise again and ascend to the right hand of the Father. He loved them all the way through. That's what he's saying. He loved them all the way through. And so even in the face of extreme pressure, Christ's love remains. It remains unchangeable. It doesn't change when we fail him. Right? And because uh, in, the, in the context, he was, he was going to be betrayed uh, by Judas and by the rest of his disciples. Uh, Peter would deny him three times and the rest of the disciples would just abandon him and just, uh, and, and, and just stay away uh, at, uh, and keep Christ, as it were, at arm's length in their relation to him. They would all uh, just not be there for him when it mattered, right? And uh, we do that in our relationship with him as well, don't we? We abandon him, we betray him, we deny him, whether it's by our words or our thoughts or our actions. We see Christ here still. He will love you to the end. Uh, what's striking here is uh, Christ in his love for his disciples and, and through them to us, um, you know, down the, the, the eons of time, as it were, when it says he loved them to the end, you, you can feel free to insert yourself in there. You're part of the them, right? It's not just that he loves his disciples and there's a different love for you. Uh, the way he loves them is the way he loves you. The, the point is that uh, Christ's love for you, as he was going to the cross, didn't change when the cost of loving you was infinitely high. Right? What was the end? The end was his death. The end was him not just physically dying, but being uh, forsaken by his father there on the cross, and, and absorbing, taking in the full wrath of God towards sin. That was the end. And even when the cost of loving you was that high, he loved you still. Second uh, Timothy 4, 16 and 17. At my first offense, no one supported me. This is Paul speaking. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Sounds a lot like Christ, right? Paul says, though, may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the preaching might be fulfilled. 
and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Uh, you know, this world uh, is full of people that change. Uh, I mean, not only do you change, but other people change. Uh, whether it's your, um, your, your child, your spouse, your dearest friend, your close relative, uh, your, your co-worker, your boss, uh, your fellow brother or sister, uh, there will always come a time where you will be, uh, in a sense, desert, deserted. Uh, you won't be supported. They won't be there when it matters. There will always come a time, I guarantee it, in every relationship where you're going to be disappointed in one measure or another. Don't be surprised when that happens. And, and may you have the attitude that Paul did. May it not be counted against them, right? But, and, and the reason he's able to say that is, it, even though all deserted me, but the Lord stood with me. You see the contrast, right? I remember our hermeneutics class, the, uh, the, uh, the, those hinges, those conjunctions, this but is a contrast, and on, that's, the, that's the center of the seesaw. And one side of the seesaw, you know, is no one supported me, all deserted me. And then on the other side, Christ stood with me. And he strengthened me, right? So there is this great contrast between the, the fickleness and the disappointment that is wrapped up in human relationships the, the contrast is there is a dependable relationship, a dependable love, a sure um, love that will always be there when it matters. And that is only found in the love of Christ. His love will be there even when others desert you. And sometimes, you know, honestly, we deserve the desertion. <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, people distancing themselves from you is what you, is just the result of your own foolishness or, or our own uh, uh, sin. But even in those situations, even when it's your fault, uh, Christ doesn't desert you. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't give up throwing the towel on you. Uh, again, John Owen says it better. Um, we love someone one day and hate him the next. That person changes and we change also. But he goes on to say, Jesus Christ is still the same and so is his love. His love is such as never had beginning and never shall have ending. So if it is eternal then even in the course of time and circumstance and all the changes that are there in your life, because his love spans beyond your life, certainly within the course of your life and the seasons and changes of your life, his love will remain constant. You see? And drilling down even further, if that's true, then in the... Uh, situations and circumstances of life 
whatever it might be, his love is uh, thirdly an effectual love. Effectual love. John Owen calls it a fruitful love. The, but, his, the, but the point of, of that word being fruitful is that it's effectual. What, what do I mean by that? Well, let me, let me allow Owen to explain himself. He says, a man may love another as his own soul. Right? So you can love someone like you love your own soul. Yet, he says, perhaps, that love of his cannot help him. Right? You might have a deep soul-level love for someone, but you can't help them. He may pity him in prison, but not relieve him. That is, not be able to relieve him. He may bemoan him in being in misery, but not be able to help him. He may suffer with him because he's in trouble, but not be able to ease his trouble, right? He says, we cannot love grace into a child, nor mercy into a friend. We cannot love them into heaven, though it may be the great desire of our soul. I mean, you know, whether it's our children or our grandchildren or our dear loved ones, you can love them uh, more than words could say. But you cannot love them into heaven. You cannot love them into salvation. I wish we could, right? We wish we could. But we can't. But Christ can. That's the point. His love is effectual. He can love someone and then actually do something about it. That's the point. Uh, for example, well, I just want to go through a list of things that he does, that he can do and does because of his love. John 15, verse 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So the love of Christ moved him to die for his friends. It moved him to die for his friends. So it's not just you're my friends and I love you and I, I'm praying for you, you know? It's I love you and I'm doing something about it. And what, what, what did he do? He died for us. This, this, this is at the head of all things, right? This is, this is, the, this is the fountainhead of the love of Christ. If he, didn't die, if he doesn't die for us, then uh, we're not his. He, our sins aren't paid for, and nothing else comes out of, nothing else comes afterwards. But because he loved us to the point of dying for us, then all other things come along with it. Because he died for us as, fr as his friends, all other things all other benefits of friendship come along with him. Uh, Romans 5.8, again, saying it a different way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his love, again, caused him to die. And here, not just for friends, but uh, for sinners, right? 
So his love caused him to die even for ungodly sinners. It over it overrid uh, our wretchedness and our opposition to him. Our fallenness was not a hindrance to him. His love conquered even that state of being a sinner. Not only this, but it goes beyond that. In, in your course of life, Christian, Romans 8, 28. Can I have somebody read that for us, please? So we see here um, that uh, those who love God are also those that love that are loved by God, of course. And if that's true, then His love sovereignly works all things for good. The context of Romans uh, eight is. The love of Christ. So we're not we're not very far away from what shall separate us from the love of Christ. We're only a, a few verses away. That's the context, and and if that's true, if His love is unconquerable, then then even if there are famine and and uh, nakedness and uh, turmoil and and trials of life, even if there are those things, His love won't. His love can't be separated from you by those things. And not only that, but he, can, he actually even uses those things for your good and his glory. So his love sovereignly works all things in your life for good. And also, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, here it is, loved me and gave himself up for me. So his love for us was effectual in that it was self-sacrificial. It was self-sacrificial. He didn't give up someone else for our salvation. He didn't pay a mountain of gold for you to be saved. He had to die. He had to give himself up. Right? And the idea is to he had to place himself, as it were, if he were in the Old Testament uh, tabernacle, it would be Christ placing himself on the altar, handing himself over to sacrifice. That's what Christ did out of his love. It caused him to give his very self over for you. Uh, a quote from Owen. Christ loves life, grace, and holiness into us. That's wonderful. Christ loves life, grace, and holiness into us. He loves us also into covenant, loves us into heaven. The love in him is to will to do good to anyone. 
right? So what, what, he's, what he means there is the love of Christ, what it means that he loves us, it means that he wills, he decides, he moves uh, to do good to someone. And then he goes on, whatever good Christ by his love wills to someone, if he, if he decides to do something for you, then that willing is operative of that good. It's just a fancy way of saying, if God loves you, then of course in his love he will want to do good for you, Christian. He will want what's best for you. I think that's important. He, he doesn't just want, you know, uh, kind of like how we do with our Christmas shopping, right? Well, I could get him uh, a Rolex, but I think I'll just get him, you know, a Panasonic watch or something. <laughs> Uh, I, I could get him, uh, you know, the, the newest pair of Nikes, uh, but I think Skechers will do, right? Uh, I, could, I could buy someone uh, a, a, a fancy uh, blouse, but uh, I think I'll just go to Ross instead, right? I would love to buy those things for that person, but I just can't, you know, so... You know, it's the thought that counts, right? So I'll, I'll get him this, and it's not, it's not the, the greatest gift, but I just can't do that, and so I'll get them, you know, this, and, and it communicates my love for them. That's normal in, in Christmas shopping or gift shopping, right? It's not that way with Christ. He loves you, and so because of his love, because the nature of his love is infinite and eternal and unchangeable, and, and it's perfect, because of his love for you, then he will want only what is the best for you. You see, he doesn't bargain shop when it comes to how can I show my dear child that I love him. He gives you the very best, Christian. And not only that, but he wants to give you the very best. And it's not that he wants to give you the best, but he can't afford it or he can't accomplish the best. He can actually operate, he says here. It's operative. He can actually accomplish what is best for you. And that's exactly what he does in your life. You may not feel like this is the best course of my life, Lord. This doesn't feel like the best thing you could have done for me. But he says this is the best thing. There's nothing better than what you're going through right now and what you're experiencing right now. There's nothing better. This is the best thing for you, Christian. And you can trust that because of his love for you. Uh, let's keep going. Ephesians 2, 4-6. to But God, being rich in, in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. There's our word, the love of God. Love of Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So the love of Christ is effectual in that it makes us alive. His love was able to save us and raise us up. 
He wasn't limited by your state of spiritual death, Christian. He loved you into life. And this love, it roots us, it grounds us, it gives us stability in life. It says in Ephesians 3.17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being firmly rooted and grounded in love. And he goes on, that you may understand with all the saints the height and depth and breadth and length of the love of Christ for us. Here he says, he says that, uh, well, what can his love do? What can the love of Christ do? It can firmly root and ground you. It firmly roots and grounds you. He's talking about your soul, about your mind, about your heart. You don't have to be so susceptible to the trials of life. You know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to fall apart when things get hard. <laughs> you know, you don't have to, uh, when trials come, Christian, you shouldn't, um, how else do we say it? You shouldn't freak out. <laughs> you shouldn't just spaz out and just panic. Why? Because you should be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And that's how you're not going to panic. That's how you're not going to freak out, have a panic attack. As if, as if you're more and more rooted and grounded in the love of Christ for you. He will give you stability in your soul and in your mind. Amen. Better than any medication. Yes. Better than any psychiatrist of this world. He will root you so that you don't freak out. <laughs> uh, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 too. Walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Again, speaking of the gospel of Christ, the love of Christ uh, moved him to sacrifice himself. But specifically, what does that mean? It means that his love uh, was able to please the Father where you couldn't and where you can't. His love is such that would desire for it to be that God could accept you, but you're a sinner, right? God so loved the world, right? But we're sinners. How could he love us? How could he, how could he be close to us? How could we be close to him? Well, his love was so strong and so mighty that he did something about it. He made it so that his son would come and sacrifice a fragrant aroma to God. So that you would be pleasing in the sight of God. You. With all, of, with all the baggage that you got, right? All of the faults that you have. That even you would be a pleasing uh, a pleasing thing to God. His love was such that it went 
that, that it uh, superseded over your offense and made you delightful to him. His love did something about it. Ephesians 5. How else does his love operate? How else is it effectual in our lives? Well, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, Husband, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So again, the sacrifice of Christ. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So the love of Christ is such that not only did he give himself up for us, but he sanctifies us and he cleanses us. He loves you enough, Christian, to get in the trenches, as it were, and be patient with you to clean out that sin out of you. This is why he saved you. He didn't save you to be a nominal Christian. He saved you with the intent of getting to work and purifying you day by day. And his love is such that he will not give up. Though we oppose him and, and resist his cleansing of us at times, his love is such that he is devoted. It's, it's, it's the love of a covenant marriage. That's the context. He doesn't give up. He, doesn't, he won't divorce you because you sin against him. He'll stick with you and, 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 and sovereignly work in your life so that you become more and more pure for him. Because there's a day coming when you will be presented as part of the church. You will be presented before Christ. And what he wants what, and what he will accomplish is that when you stand before him, you will be holy and blameless, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You're part of that, Christian. You're part of that church, if you're truly his. And so you can trust that if he loves me, he's going to give me victory over this sin. Because he loves me, he's going to help me be pure and be spotless. He's going to help me have victory. He's going to help me conquer my sin, put it to death. I got to do my part. I got to work with him and not oppose him. But my holiness, your holiness, your sanctification, your growth is grounded in the love of Christ for you, not your performance. He uses that, but he doesn't depend on it. And he loves you so much that he's going to, he will fill up your meager efforts, right? He will fill up and, 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 Pour in his grace into your finite uh, thimble full of, here, Lord, here's my devotion. It's just a thimble full of devotion. He will take that and use it, Christian. But you just got to give it to him. Uh, all of these things and more, Christ 
does, he accomplishes, he affects because of his love. Now there's a, there's a great hymn. It's uh, the hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, by, uh, well I'm going to try and pronounce his name, Joachim Neander, uh, in, the, in 1680. He penned uh, this hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Verse 1, just to jog your memory, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. One of my favorite hymns. O my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. And then this wonderful verse, a verse that maybe you've passed over and just sung and haven't thought about. Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. And then this line, ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. The, 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 the author of this hymn is calling you, Christian, to take a moment and think anew, think afresh again today. What can God, the Almighty King of creation, what is possible for him if he were to love me like a friend? What could he do for me if he really loved me the way that he says he loves me? Is there anything he couldn't do if he loves you like a friend? Remember, he's almighty. He's not limited. There's nothing he can't do. And again, he, everything he does do for you is the best thing that he could do for you. So I trust so if we sing that again, you'll resonate with that line. And you'll think of maybe this lesson. And, and it'll be a little bit more rich for you. As we close, one last quote from our brother John Owen. These three qualities of the love of Christ, the eternal love, unchangeable love, and effectual or fruitful love, these three qualities of Christ, of the love of Christ, make it exceedingly eminent and him exceedingly desirable. Right? So if these three things about the love of Christ are true, then this is a love like no other. And that makes me desire Christ more because it comes from him. And he goes on, How many millions of sins in every one of the elect has this love overcome? What mountains of unbelief does it remove? What streams of grace, purging, pardoning, quickening, and assisting do flow from it every day? Wonderful. Wonderful love of Christ. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriend thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your love and the love of your Son. I thank you, Father, that it's not simply that you love us and forced your Son to do this out of obligation to you, but, Lord Jesus, you wholeheartedly love us along with your Father. And you came willingly. You came eagerly 
out of love for us, to die for us. And you sent the Spirit who loves us as well and works in our lives and communicates your love to us. And Lord Jesus, we trust you. We, we trust that your love is eternal, that it's unchanging, and that you are working in our lives. And even when it's difficult, Lord, uh, it is the work of your love. Help us to trust you with these things. Help us to believe that you love us like this. It's hard to believe. Give us the faith to trust what you say. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank <laughs> you.